We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. The outrage continues. I continue to get raked over the coals by the progressives who are outraged that I would have written an article where I said that critical race theory is the opposite of Christianity. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to the rebellion. Okay, we we have to stay on this story for another day at least. Maybe I can move beyond this story tomorrow. We'll see. But I want to cover this story of my article one more time. It's titled Critical Race Theory is the Opposite of Christianity. Well, I posted this particular column on a Facebook page that's titled Bartlesville Talk of the Town in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Now, why did I post it there? It's because the administrator of that page has personally asked me to post my columns on that page because she believes that the people in Bartlesville should be privy to my commentary. She thinks it's healthy. She thinks it's good for the local debate, for education in our local community. She believes there's value there in what I have to say. So she has said, I want you to post anything and everything on this Facebook page that you want to. So periodically, I do post my columns there. I chose to post this one in particular because it shouldn't be that offensive. I mean, my land. This article calls for nothing more than forgiveness. It elevates grace over revenge. It elevates forgiveness over reparations and payback. It juxtaposes the biblical worldview, a Christian worldview of grace over and above a worldview of grievances. In other words, what I wrote about in this article is Christ's model of forgiving, 70 times seven, of the unity of the body, the unity of the team, the unity of community as opposed to the divisive rhetoric of dividing people by color or socioeconomic status or anything else. This is what I'm calling for in this article, and I'm referring to Scripture as the basis for that. And as I've said, oh my land, all hell breaks loose from this particular Facebook community here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, because there's a handful of people that don't want to allow the conversation to take place. Under their banners of tolerance, they've declared that they're not going to tolerate anybody who disagrees with them or challenges them. Under their banners of inclusion, they're going to exclude anybody of the wrong color of skin, the wrong church, and the wrong viewpoint. They're divisive. Their rhetoric proves it. Their reaction to something as simple as a call for forgiveness betrays the vindictive, revenge that fuels their worldview. That's what we'll talk about today. 
I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So today's topic is a response to a couple of the predictable and shallow and frankly quite sad responses from the progressive community in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, in response to my article in the Washington Times, which was titled, Critical Race Theory is the Opposite of Christianity. Now, as you know, if you've been listening to the show the last couple days, I'm arguing that forgiveness is what sets Christianity apart from other religions. You know that that's a direct quote from the article. Again, I'll read it. Forgiveness is what sets Christianity apart from other religions. It's the gospel of God's unmerited grace, and this is the antithesis of all opposing worldviews. And I bring up the issue of Buddhist karma and the vengeful retribution of Islam as antithetical worldviews to Christianity and Christ's model of forgiveness. The reality of grace in Christianity, that it's by grace that you're saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. You can do nothing to earn favor with God. God's model is grace, unmerited, unmerited forgiveness and grace that's granted to us. We don't get what we deserve. We get grace because in humility, we bow in repentance and ask for it. That's the model. And when Peter approached Jesus and said, how many times should we forgive, extend grace? Seven times? Seventy times. Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. In other words, endlessly. You keep extending forgiveness because that's what I've done for you. That's what Jesus is saying. And I tell the story of Brant Jean and his model of forgiveness, how he forgave the woman that was convicted of actually killing his older brother, Botham, and how Brant's father did the same. Why? Because in the words of Mr. Jean, uh, Brant's father, Botham's father, that's what Jesus would want us to do. That's what Christ would want us to do. So in other words, If you will not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Again, that's a quote essentially from the Lord's Prayer, but that's a quote from Mr. Gene, the father of the murdered boy, Botham, and the father of his younger son, Brant, who extended grace and forgiveness. Well, I wrote about this. I wrote about this and I posted it in the Bartlesville Talk of the Town Website, excuse me, not the website, but uh, on the Facebook page that's titled that. Again, because the administrator of that page has asked me to post my stuff. Well, here are some of the responses. One man immediately responded, and I quote, As a white man, you should sit down. Unquote. He said that to me. As a white man, you should sit down. Now let's respond to that. Stop and think about what he just said. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to see you. I don't want you rising to your feet. I don't want you doing anything. I don't want you involved in the conversation, in the debate, in the community. As a white man, you should sit down, quote unquote. Now, I want to ask you this. How is that any different than telling people to sit at the back of the bus? Than the KKK telling blacks, As a black man, you be quiet. 
You need to keep your mouth shut. You need to recognize your place. And your place is not to stand. Your place is not to speak. Because of of the color of your skin, because of who you are, because of the way you look, because of your heritage and your family, you should sit down. That's what he just told me. Now you tell me, you tell me how that is possibly consistent with the message of Martin Luther King Jr., who said we should judge people by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Can you ever imagine MLK Jr. telling other people of a different color of skin because of the way you look, because of the amount of melanin you have in your skin, you should sit down? No, that's the exact opposite of MLK's message. And as we celebrate the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. this particular month, during the month of January, how dare this man suggest that anyone should just sit down because of the color of their skin? People, anytime you hear someone say that, run, run the other way. Do not get in that parade. This is the parade of division. This is the march for vengeance. This is not a march for civil rights. This is a march that is predicated on us against them, you against me, and that we will defeat the foe. It's not a call to come together in unity. It is a divisive message that will bring nothing but vice and violence. And Martin Luther King Jr. knew that. He knew that. That's why he continuously grounded his message in non-violent, non-vindictive, biblical calls for justice rather than the opposite, which he could have embraced at the time. The message of Malcolm X at the time was one of overthrow and revenge, what you're hearing today, as opposed to the message of Martin Luther King Jr. That's the reason there was division at the time. And we're blessed as a nation that we decided to listen to MLK Jr. rather than Malcolm X. We're also blessed that MLK Jr. recognized and resisted the temptation to align himself with Malcolm X and the opposite worldview, a worldview that was grounded in, frankly, karma, and what Islam calls kisses. Another way to pronounce it is kaisas. It's spelled Q-I-S-A-S. Again, the proper pronunciation of it sounds like kisses. It's kisses or kaisas, depending on the translation and the dialect. Now, what is kisses or kaisas in Islam? Well, it's very simple. Kisses is this. This is the definition. It is to take revenge. It is the call for retaliation in kind, quote unquote. This is the Islamic view of justice. Now, that's dramatically different than the biblical call that Jesus gives us to forgive 70 times 7. Islam calls for retaliation in kind. 
kisses, an eye for an eye. It's retributive justice. This is the classic or the traditional definition of the judicial system within Sharia law and Islamic law. Stop and think about it. Why do we not call our prisons prisons any longer here in the United States? Why do we no longer call them penal institutions? We call them correctional centers now, right? And we talk about restoration, restorative justice. Why do we do that in the United States, whereas other countries don't? Well, the reason we do that is because we believe in redemption. We believe in repentance. We believe in restoration. We believe in correction. You're going one way and you correct that direction and you turn around and go a different way. You were behaving in an unjust, illegal fashion, but we believe that that can be changed. We believe that that can be changed, not by cutting off your head, but by giving you different ideas that are better than your old ideas. In other words, the old can die and the new can be born. That entire model, that entire model of correctional facilities rather than prisons and penal institutions is grounded in a biblical worldview. It's not grounded in retribution. It isn't necessarily grounded in an eye for an eye. It isn't grounded in retaliation in kind. It isn't grounded in kisses. It's grounded in forgiveness. There's a difference here. And that's why I posted my column. Frankly, this man that's telling me that because of the color of my skin, I should just sit down is embracing the Muslim model of retaliation, of not forgiving, of holding a grudge, of judging somebody else because of their heritage, because of their tribe, because of what my fathers did, my grandfathers did, my great-grandfathers did, because of something that somebody did a hundred, two hundred, a thousand years ago, I should just be quiet and sit down. Is that the kind of country you think you live in? And is that the kind of culture that you want for yourselves, for your children, and your grandchildren? You better start asking yourself that question because this is the battle that's being fought. And the response right in, right in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, to my call for forgiveness, to my call to revisit the very assumptions, the philosophical and theological assumptions of the civil rights marches that were led by MLK and his supporters, my call to revisit that model as opposed to embracing the model of Malcolm X, the BLM model, the critical race theory model. That's the model of Malcolm X. It's not the model of MLK Jr. It's not the model of Christianity. It's the model of Kisses, of retaliation in kind, of blaming a system, blaming a tribe, blaming an entire group of people for all that ails the world while holding yourself as being innocent in that formula. That is not the United States. That is a divided states. That is not a melting pot where people come together as one. This is tribal conflict. This is class conflict. And that's why I've argued that critical race theory is the opposite of Christianity. Now, here's another comment that was made with regard to my column. 
One responder says that, well, Dr. Piper fails to see that his very position and worldview is one of arrogance. It's grounded in pride. Okay? So I'm calling for forgiveness, and when I'm questioned as to why, my defense of that call for forgiveness, as opposed to fomenting revenge and retaliation in kind, my response is called one of pride. It's another way of that particular critic to say what I've covered in the past, and that is these people on the progressive left who suggest those of us on the conservative right are arrogant because we think we're always right, and that somehow that's a position of pride. Now stop and think about that. You're being called arrogant. I'm being called arrogant. You're being called prideful, as am I, because we're taking a position that there's some objective standard of truth out there to help us understand this debate, and that that objective standard of truth is bigger than you and bigger than me, that it's self-evident, that it's endowed by our Creator, or as the Apostle Paul says, it's written on every human heart. We're taking the position that truth is true, that truth is true and that falsehood is false, and that never the twain shall meet, that you don't have the right to define truth any more than I do. We're taking the position that reality is out there and that you can find it. That's the position we're taking. And we're also arguing with regard to these important debates of the time, critical race theory in particular, as it relates to this show, that there's a way to judge it as being right and there's a way to judge it as being wrong. It's not a matter of power or opinions. We should be able to debate this, to discuss this, and to disagree and agree as we debate and discuss and have a conversation about it. We should be able to do it civilly, and we should be able to come to some conclusions grounded in reason, tradition, experience, and yes, revelation. Those things that are objectively true outside of the actual argument and debate. That's the position we're taking. And I'm being accused of being a proponent of pride because that's the position I'm taking. Now, I want you to stop and think. Again, stop and think. Ask yourself this question. Why is it prideful for me to say, I believe there is a truth. I believe there is an answer. The truth is bigger than me. The answer is bigger than you. It's out there beyond us somewhere. It's real. We can find it. Let's have a good debate and argument in pursuit of that reality, of that answer, of that truth. In other words, I believe truth is true. But you, Mr. Progressive, Ms. Progressive, on the other side, you're saying that whatever truth there is, it's a product of conversation. It's a social construct rather than an objective reality. In other words, whatever I decide is true, whatever my small group of progressives decides is true, is the end of it. And all of you out there that disagree with our collective conclusion, with our progressive position, with our opinions, with our feelings, all of you who disagree with us, you're the ones that are arrogant, we're not. Isn't this rather ironic? Somebody says there is a truth, and I'm not the one to decide what it is. It's out there. It's completely separate from me. It's bigger than me. It's a revelation of God. It's not a construct of man. 
And that person, you and me, that those people are the ones who are accused of being prideful, as opposed to the progressive who just said, I'll decide what's true. I'll decide what's false. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what you say. I'll decide. And yet they accuse, they accuse you and me of pride. While they wave their banners of pride and have an entire month to celebrate it. That's the irony, isn't it? The same people that are criticizing this call for this call for forgiveness are the very ones who <laughs> they're the very ones who foment revenge and they do so under their rainbow banners of pride and then they turn around and say you conservatives are guilty of pride. These people cannot make sense to save their lives. They can't think their way out of a paper bag. They don't understand critical race theory. They prove that by their objections to those of us who question it. They deny what it really is. They deny that it's divisive. They deny that it's recompense. They, re they deny that it's retaliation. They deny that it smacks of karma. They deny that it smacks, smacks of Islamic kisses, of retaliation in kind. They deny that it's fueled by anger and revenge. They deny that it's neo-Marxist. They'll even deny that it's being taught in our schools. They lie, they obfuscate, they deny, they dodge, they dance, and all the while they accuse you of being prideful. This is classic diversion. This is classic accuse your opponent of the very thing you're guilty of to distract from your own sins. That's what they're doing. So one response I get is, because you're white, shut up and sit down. Because of the color of your skin, you have no place in this debate. You shouldn't even be speaking. Go to the back of the bus. And another one, we have this embrace of retaliation in kind. And then we have this accusation of pride and arrogance. Problem with you conservatives is you always think you're right. And all in ignorance of the biblical model of forgiveness of what real justice is about. That justice is defined by God, it's not defined by culture, it's not defined by politics, it's not defined by personal power or opinions. That justice has nothing to do with the color of your skin or the amount of money you make or don't make. If you're wealthy, justice does not frown on you because justice cannot see your wealth. If you're poor, justice does not, does not, look askance at you. It does not judge against you because of your poverty, because justice can't see that. Justice is blind. It never lifts the blindfold. It never puts its thumb on the scales. Justice hears the facts, and justice makes decisions accordingly. Justice would never say, because of the color of your skin, leave this courtroom, sit at the back of the bus, Use your own drinking fountain. You just need to sit down. That is not justice, people. That's racism, pure and simple. That's the opposite of Booker T. Washington. It's the opposite of Frederick Douglass. It's the opposite of Martin Luther King Jr. It's the opposite of what we see in the contemporary lives and the examples of people like Thomas Sowell. 
Armstrong Williams, Walter Williams, Shelby Steele. The list goes on and on. Clarence Thomas. We see it in contemporary leaders that have recognized the broken worldview of Kissus, of retaliation in kind, of Candace Owens, of Eddie Huff in Tulsa. We see it in these leaders, these contemporary leaders that are with us today, that understand that if all we do is further the cycle of revenge, of retaliation, of recompense, of reparations, if that's all we do, then it's going to continue the cycle of hate. You know, one of the quotes that I read to you in my article, I said that we can be saved from all of this stuff. If we forgive, we can be saved. Saved by God's grace, we can be saved from anger. We can be saved from vengeance. We can be saved from self-righteousness. We can be saved from ourselves. We can be saved from our own sins, and we can be saved from other people's sins because we don't have to be enslaved by this endless cycle of victimization. Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1400s. Martin Luther once wrote this. It's a hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. I read it a couple days ago. This one stanza. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. He's armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about Lucifer. He's talking about the devil here. He's our ancient foe, and he's trying to work us woe, and he's armed with cruel hate as, as his key weapon. The only way to fight against that cruel hate is to recognize what John Newton wrote about centuries later. That's the hymn Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Not a wretch like you. John Newton wasn't looking out at others and saying, you guys are the wretches. You need to sit down. You need to be quiet. You're the wretches. No, that's exactly the opposite of what John Newton said in the hymn Amazing Grace. That was predicated on his declaration, Newton's declaration, that there are two things I know. I'm a great sinner. I am a great sinner. And Jesus is a great Savior. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The gospel focuses inward when it's talking about sin. When you're talking about sin, when you're talking about the brokenness of the world, you recognize the words of Chesterton. When he was asked, what's wrong with the world? He said, dear sirs, I am. That's the gospel. Critical race theory is the opposite. And my friends here in Bartlesville don't even get that, at least this handful of progressives. They have the audacity, the childishness, the pomposity to accuse others of being prideful when they bathe and stew in their own pride and their quest for revenge. It's not the gospel, folks. That's critical theory. That's dangerous. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.